welcome to another edition of the Atmosphere is Electric. Easy for you to say. Uh, I'm Rich, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Fran. How are you today, buddy? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Very good. Did you enjoy your bank holiday weekend? Oh, it was very sunny, wasn't it? Got a little bit burnt, but yeah, loved it. Oh, you went outside. I spent the whole time in front of a TV watching more sport than I cared to admit to. Yeah, I played played a bit of five-a-side at a tournament, so I was outside, but then managed to get back in to watch the the, uh, the end of the Premier League season. Unfortunately, my, well, unfortunately that's probably, I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but my wife was away with my daughter, so I had the TV to myself and even watched, I don't normally do, but even watched boxing, uh, that Akoli fight on Saturday night. I watched the IPL final. I literally had the sports fans' dream of a weekend. I watched all of the playoff finals, all of the Premier League, a little bit of the rugby final. It was crazy, but I, I feel like I've got square eyes now, but loved every second of it. Happy days, happy days. Well, maybe, maybe not. It depends on what team you support and how your team got on. So let, let's go straight into it because obviously we are now at the end of the season and it's been confirmed. Well, everything's been confirmed, obviously, but let's start uh, as we have done so often right down the bottom. And it's, it's been confirmed now that we, we know who's going down uh, in Southampton, Leeds and Leicester. And as, as we kind of predicted last week, it was as we thought it would be. And it's probably on reflection, a fair assessment of the season. As they say, obviously 38 games, you, you end up where you deserve and that's probably about right. Yeah, I think it's about right. I think the one one team to highlight Everton probably, if you could relegate four teams, I think they do deserve to go as well. I think those four teams have been consistently the worst teams in the league. Um, all the others, yeah, I think have deserved to end up where they are. And so, obviously, uh, we'll come on to playoffs and bits and pieces, teams going up, etc. But but obviously, th- there was a little bit of a, a sort of a, a celebratory kind of let's all run on the pitch because we've stayed up with the Everton fans and there, there was other Everton fans sort of saying no don't you're embarrassing us we shouldn't be celebrating this and a little bit of sack the board how did you see that I mean what did you feel that the fans should have behaved and, and and where should the anger really be pointed at I'm a bit on the fence with that to be honest like I completely get that why the fans run on the pitch you live in the moment don't you you've just stayed in the Premier League but also for a club like Everton you shouldn't be in that position so I, I get both sides of the argument yeah, but to me, you live in the moment, you've just stayed up. It's now about focusing your attention, like say, to the board, to the transfer policy um, and making sure that they're not in that position again. Because that, that, that's so, so since Sunday, I've spent quite a bit of time looking at last summer's transfer window because I think it's really interesting. We've spoken on this a few times now about recruitment and the more I spend talking to you about football, the more I believe that recruitment is is key. And actually, it's interesting, isn't it? I've never heard anybody sort of sing from the stands, you know, sack the recruitment team. They all say shout, sack the board. But actually, if you go through Everton's transfer window last summer, they spent about 85, 90 million quid. Well, it's not to be sniffed at. I think it's, I think it's a really interesting point. I, um, I think the thing to sort of highlight on the recruitment team is... Unless unless the recruitment team are fully in charge of recruitment, they will be given a specification of the type of players they're going after. And in Everton's case, they have sort of had a scattergun approach, haven't they, where they've been trying to just sign big big name players. So um, Rodriguez being the, the main one, um, you know, in the past few years where they've just gone for the biggest names, whereas actually that's, that's not what has, has worked for them in the past. Um, so... I, th- I do think the board have to be tied into the recruitment policy um, and obviously the recruitment team, if they're getting a specification, what what do you do? Um, if, you know, if you're getting told to go for the highest named profile players, that's what they've done. So I can understand that frustration and why the board have included, but I think, yeah, as a club, you've got to get that ethos correct, haven't you? You've got to get the blueprint of what the type of players that you're looking for to fit a style of play and it all goes from there. Yeah, it was, uh, again, like I say, I've, I've gone down all, so many of the teams were actually weaker at the end of the transfer window than they were at the start. And it's really fascinating. I've never really done this before and, and I probably won't do it again. But, you know, so you, you look at Everton as an example who who just escaped relegation with a, with a game to spare last season with those mad scenes, you know, on, that, on that, that weekday evening where they, I think it was Crystal Palace and Frank Lampard and they were all doing the, the celebratory stuff. And they, they went out and basically paid £34 million on Anana. Connor Cody came in. James Tarkovsky came in on a free. Dwight McNeil also from Burnley. They signed Neil Mopay for about 15 million, Idris Gay for 8 million, and James Garner from, from Manchester United for 15 million. And you look at those players, and you think none of them are really going to be taking you forward massively. They're all relatively solid players, but there's nothing in there that's got that bit of magic, Premier League magic, that's going to kind of help you out. And, and actually, like I say, it's about the type of player you recruit and where you get them. But that for me just feels like a lot of money. 15 million for James Garner seems crazy. 
There's some really strange picks in there, isn't there? I see. I, I like that. I like Anana. I think he's a good player, but he was Premier League unproven, wasn't he? I'm not saying you have to be proven to be a good player in the Premier League, but it's a lot of money for somebody who potentially could bomb. Um, obviously, the two pickups at centre half in Cody and Tarkovsky, both solid players. Um, but there was question marks over Cody, wasn't there? Can he play in a back four, which is what Everton have played all season? So it does seem a bit scattergun. There isn't really that blueprint of players there. Like I said, the James Garner pickup, I sort of get that the pickup is a young player who can improve, but it hasn't been used. It's only been for the past three games, really, that he's been featuring in the team. So there isn't that, that idea of the type of players, you know, whether it's young and up-and-coming players or established Premier League players. There isn't that sort of... You, you can't see what they're doing by looking at those players, can you? No. And, and again, you know, when, when you compare what other teams have got in the window, that's when I think it becomes a little bit, oh, that's awkward. Because you, if you look at, so for example, Aston Villa, who obviously have gone on an absolute tear-up and are doing great things. But but Bubabar Kamara from Marseille, they got on a free. You know, phenomenal midfield player. You know, Anana is a very good player, but you spent £35 million to, to fix a problem that you could have. And again, I appreciate that just because he's available doesn't mean he wants to go to your club. But, you know, th- there was a player there that does that job for free. You know, you look at some of the, the players that Brighton have signed in, in Cisco, like £9 million quid, Purvis, you know, at eight, fifteen million quid. Like they could have spent that money across three or four positions and made themselves much stronger. And that, that's really the key for me this this summer is that Everton have to find a solution to that problem because otherwise next season they are going down. I'm going to steal your thunder and talk about a podcast which you have highlighted before, and that's the High Performance Podcast. You sent me a link and it was um the podcast where they interviewed the Brighton chairman, I believe, I think it was. Um, and that absolutely was enlightening. The fact that they spoke about Cucurella being sold and that they straight away highlighted Purvis Estupian as the person to come in. He was in the building within a week, I think it was. Uh, the same as um, on the manager front, they've always got a plan of the next person in line, whether that's a player or a member of staff. And I think Brighton are the team to highlight. Obviously, they're doing really well this year, but... That's how you run a recruitment policy. You should have your number one, two and three player lined up. And in and in Brighton's case, they were already in the building before they were sold. You look at all the other clubs that have really struggled. And, and I mean, I'm looking at Leicester where they've sold for Farner and didn't have a centre-half replacement with a week left of the window. Um, other teams have done that exact same thing where they've sold a player and not had a replacement. And all of a sudden, you've got money burning in your pocket and the, the price of your replacement has doubled. And I think Brighton are the team to highlight there. They have... The, the way they recruit is superb. It's done in a timely fashion. It's never panicked. They're getting value for money. I think they're the team that you need to look at as a recruitment policy and team. Yeah, absolutely. And again, great podcast. And again, you know, I, I don't want to keep talking about this one, but even from a business point of view, he talks about uh, so many things that are relevant from a, from a work day-to-day work environment as well that can help you and your company in terms of uh, succession planning. But, you know, as, as we look at these teams down the bottom of the table, you know, again, Another board that have been getting absolute pelt was the Leeds United board. Uh, but again, if I look at them from, from, from last window, last summer, Tyler Adams for 20 million, Aronson for 25 million, Christensen for 10 million, Rocker for 10 million, Sinistera for 25 million, Gnonto for 50. Like, they spent money, but none of those players have really torn up the Premier League. None of those players have really landed and made it. You know, people keep telling me about Wilfred Gnonto is a great player with a great future. And I'm not arguing that, but he hasn't exactly gone and scored 15, 16 goals this season, which is what you want from a Ford. I think he's the only one you could say looks like he's got potential to be a good player. I think the other ones have been terrible buys. Tyler Adams, I think, is a good player. But the, sort of the American, Western McKenney, they've gone down the American route, haven't they? Which I mean, they're not renowned for having amazing players. Have they? There's been a couple that have come out of America, but and I'm not saying that they're not good players, but they haven't performed. They haven't been great buys. They've not been value for money. So I think Leeds have had a terrible recruitment policy the past couple of years as well. Yeah, and, and, and actually, it's as interesting as the players that leave as the players that come in. So if you look at the Leeds, uh, Rafinha obviously went to Barcelona. Calvin Phillips went to Man City. But interestingly, Dan James. Now, again, I, I realise he's a you know, speed demon, speed merchant, and people might tell me he's not fantastic. But again, Premier League experience, not bad to you know stretches the game. And you've sent him out to Fulham on loan. So you haven't even really got much money back for him. But actually, You know what you get with him, don't you? You yeah. know what you get with Dan James. Like I say, you know, what Pep's taught us this season is that you have to stretch the pitch in both ways, right? As wide as you possibly can and as long as you possibly can. And t- to be fair, De Zerbi does the same. And so actually that then creates opportunities for, for other people in, on, on the pitch. But the other one that really struck me was that Liverpool have had, by their terms, and again, you, 
we're talking about someone that's finished fifth, right? So it's not relegation, but it's not where Liverpool, we believe, should be. But if you look at their window, actually, I'd argue they got weaker over the summer when they signed Calvin Ramsey, Darwin Nunes, Carvalho, uh, and Melo on loan from Juventus. None of them, again, and again, they'll take time to settle, but Nunes is obviously the big the big ticket purchase at 85, 90 million quid, and, and, and obviously they're hoping for more from him. But you know, the other guys haven't really featured at all. And then you look at losing Sadio Mane for 35 million that feels like a massive downgrade to me. And actually, you could argue that Liverpool squad is weaker this year than it was last year off the back of those transfers. I think the one for Liverpool was the winger, wasn't he? Um, what's his name? Is he Colombian? What, in or out? He was injured this year. Oh, Luis Diaz? Luis Diaz, that's the one. I think him getting injured was the one, wasn't he? Because he was meant to be the Mane replacement and um, Nunes yeah. was meant to come in for Firmino, but obviously they've had to shuffle that around because of that injury. And but, like as well. you said. But yeah, I, I don't. I still can't see how they're not stronger, are they, by selling Mane and recruiting those players? Um, so yeah, I'd agree. I don't think they are as strong, but I think that injury hurt them quite a lot early doors. Yeah, and Diego Jota, of course, as well. But like I say, it, it just you know we, we're going to keep talking recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. I'm starting to build a real picture of what a, what a successful club looks like. Obviously, it needs stable leadership, a good recruitment team, and I'm going to throw one in there that we're going to come to over the summer a bit more. Is a, is a fantastic PR machine. Uh, because it's really interesting how the PR from some clubs is on point to keep the fans where they need them. And some clubs are doing a really bad job of PR, which is turning the fans against them. And I'll give you a really quick example of that, how Arsenal lost a game that lost in the league the next day. Everything in the newspapers, De- Declan Rice is interested in coming, Declan Rice is interested in coming, and the fans are immediately picked back up again, even if it's not. And I said to you at the time, I don't believe that's going to happen. And as we time moves on, it's looking less and less likely to happen. But it's about when you drop a story to make the fans believe you have a plan and hope for the future, right? So that's going to be something that we're going to keep an eye on as well. The PR machine at some clubs is fantastic, but other clubs are getting it bang wrong. I think that's really interesting, PR. Um, you say you've, you've mentioned a few clubs there that have done it well. There's a lot of clubs at the minute who are doing it really poorly. And when you look at their social media, they're just getting a battering. Oh, listen. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, at the moment, Tottenham Hotspur are an embarrassment across a whole bunch of things, but their PR machine on this manager search is horrific. You know, somebody needs to pick that up and run with that and make this. So Chelsea have gone and signed a Spurs reject that the Chelsea fans themselves called a bottle job, you know, not good for anything, can't win anything. But he's, he's now been the second coming. He's going to turn Chelsea into world world beaters again because of the PR that's been attached to it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, not a lot of people are talking about it, are they? Whereas, and we'll come on to Poch later, but whereas... Spurs are a joke, they're a shambles, they can't find a manager. We're actually, the manager they went for was Arna Slot, didn't quite work out. Their number two is Postacoglu, he's still playing the season. Spurs knew that Conte was leaving during the World Cup, I know that for a fact. The issue was that Conte forced his hand to leave before the end of the season and Spurs weren't prepared for that. So it looks like Spurs have gone, well, we've not got a manager, we haven't got a plan. They've always had the plan to get their new man in place from June the 1st not March the 1st. And that was the only, I say only, lots of problems at Spurs this season. But that was the problem is that Conte forced their hand and quit, basically quit. And they didn't have an interim measure in place that worked. And the PR on this has been so bad that the fans, I've got Spurs fans that are friends and they're thinking about not renewing their season tickets because they're like, well, the club don't know what they're doing. There's no guidance. Whereas, like I say, my friends that are Chelsea fans are absolutely buzzing because they've got a Spurs reject. And it's just, just the spin, that the positive spin on PR, all clubs need to need to get better at. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of it is timing, isn't it? Of when you when you release a message, but also, um, I think what's happening at a lot of clubs is they're just failing to read the room. Like some of them are giving themselves pats on the back, um, or saying you'd be grateful for what's happened. They're not reading the room at a lot of clubs. I think a lot of the boards are probably just a bit out of touch and need a bit of a refreshment there. Well, there was a the classic, wasn't there, when Man United played Bournemouth and their, their admin put that clip of Anthony not really doing anything rather than just a fancy turn. It didn't go anywhere as, as like a, you know, check us out and everyone would come back with him. He's been awful, A. B, what is that clip? And C, you should be fired for posting it. Like, you know, just like you say, that awareness of understanding what the fan base are looking for doesn't feel to be that difficult to me, but what do I know? I, I think we've mentioned it before, haven't we, where we're saying you need, 
football people in in sort of the boardroom and in clubs and i think it's it's spreading across a lot of the staff at football clubs where you're looking at people on social media just because they've got a good social media presence in their own lives do they understand football and do they understand the fans and i think in a lot of cases you look at the social media and i don't think they do so you know i think that football knowledge is going to start coming to the fore at some clubs and when you get it right it's a real bonus and asset isn't it absolutely so as we've said, Leicester, Leeds, Southampton are going to be spending a season in championship on the spot. We've not talked about this before. How many of them are coming back straight back up and who, if any? Yes, it's a difficult question. I'm going to say one of them will, will come straight back up. I think the, I think there'll be quite a few teams in the championship pushing for the automatic promotion. When you look at the, the lineup, there's some good clubs in there still. Awesome. Um, Big you know, there's some big clubs. So I think it will be difficult for those three to bounce back straight away. Um, I have put my neck out to say Southampton. I know you said Leeds. I can see those two definitely being up there, Southampton and Leeds. Yeah, again, of course, lots of activity. Both teams will... The reason why I keep saying these is that I really don't believe that there's going to be a huge pillaging of the Leeds squad. You know, I, I look at them, Tyler Adams, maybe Jack Harrison is someone that everybody in the Premier League should be looking at. I think he's a, he's, I think he's a very good player. But, but other than that, you know, they are all ironically championship players, which is where they're going. And I think they'll be very good at that level if they get the right manager. Yeah, I think the reason the reason why I'm uh, going for Southampton is because I think they're they're actually ran quite well as a club. When we talked about recruitment, their recruitment this year wasn't bad. It was just along the lines of it was a lot of young players and they recruited too many young players for the Premier League. But you can see what they're trying to do. And I think that, you know, they're getting Russell Martin in. They're doing the business very early on the manager front. I think you can see that they've got a plan and and you can completely buy into it. Well, I, I can anyway. I can completely buy into what they're trying to do there. They're getting young, hungry players at decent value. And like I said, you know, they're going to lose some players. Of course they are. And they're going to lose some of the best players in Ward-Prowse and Lavia and a few others. But I, I think you can see their plan there that they will recruit well there as well and I think out the, the three I don't think they've got the most financial difficulty as well so I can see Southampton bouncing back just for those reasons yeah and, and as you said and Luton will come on to it in a minute the championship is looking absolutely stacked next season it definitely is going to be the fifth best league in, in, in Europe that's for sure with all of the quality teams in there that, that, that didn't either make it up or have been promoted into it so it's going to be very interesting so this season obviously Manchester City in the end relatively comfortable five points clear of Arsenal uh Champions League places were, were relatively straightforward. There's a four-point gap there. You know, a little bit of lower-level European stuff was a little bit of interest. But for you, Fran, we haven't spoke about this, but for you, Fran, what team or club has had the biggest overachievement on expectation this season? It's a good question. Um, I, I'm going to say Newcastle United, just because even though you know they've been bought out and they've got that huge financial power behind them they haven't actually spent that much money you know they, when they first joined they were talking about Neymar joining and Mbappe you know they went and bought Dan Byrne as an example so there's the difference but i think you know they were expecting probably to be in the champions league places next season possibly the season after that and the fact that they've done it on the first season and the way Eddie Howe's performed with some of the players in that squad i'm going to say Newcastle United I mean, firstly, how dare you suggest that Dan Byrne is not in the same league as them players? Of course, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, you look at their summer activity, you know, Matt Target, relatively average Premier League player from Aston Villa. Nick Pope was a great piece of business at 10 million quid. Again, no, any of the other teams could have gone and got that bit of business. You know, you look at Leeds struggling for a goalkeeper, you know, making changes at the end of the season. Leicester City lost cash for Michael, you know, £10 million for Nick Pope. Again, I appreciate that Newcastle might be a slightly more attractive offer, but, you know, there, there, there's opportunities out there. Obviously, Botman from Lille at £35 million was a great signing. And obviously, Isak was their big marquee signing at just over £60 million. Quid. But you're right, they haven't gone crazy. This summer's going to be really interesting. We've already spoken about all those teams that are going to be looking to improve. The Villas, who apparently are signing Asensio from Real Madrid on a freebie, which is left field, but wow. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting window. So yeah, good shout. I, I, I think I would still probably pick Brighton personally, just based on you know losing your manager, losing uh, those players that you lost, Eves Basuma, Kukurea, you know, lo losing those, uh, even Malpay to Everton, you know, and coming back and doing what they've done. I think I would still just pick Brighton, but I can't argue with your Newcastle point. So on that then, who's been the biggest underachievement based on expectation this season. So I'm going to highlight two clubs. So the first one I'm going to highlight, I can't see how you can't plump for Chelsea. 
they are the absolute standout there, aren't they? Um, I think Chelsea are obvious, but the the next one is Leicester City to finish. um, You know, for the past five seasons, they've been finishing the top ten comfortably. To all of a sudden being relegated, I think they also stand out in the league. Absolutely, can't disagree. And, and you know, again, it's worth mentioning that three promoted clubs all staying up. First time that's happened in a long time. Uh, you know, great effort from those clubs to show you how you can do that and you can fight if you have the right uh, infrastructure, the right manager, the right team. You know, and again, we talk about it. The atmosphere is electric. The whole point is, you know, you talk about the fans being on board. And you've mentioned it there about some fans maybe sort of shouting or, or, or being rude towards the board, and other fan bases have, have unified. And you know, Notts Forest is the one that obviously from where they were to where they are, shows what can happen if you get it right. Absolutely. And when you look at all of those clubs, they've all sort of gone down different routes, haven't they? Forest obviously had to sign a lot of players because they didn't have a squad. Bournemouth um, have sort of done that in January and made an early change. Um, And Fulham have just, well, again, Fulham haven't really recruited um, with with high expense, have they? It's been a lot of free transfers and very clever signings. So they've all sort of took different routes, but yeah, they've all got on board with what they're doing. They've bought into that that specific blueprint and they all deserve to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it happens again anytime soon. And you're right, you know, for me, uh, arguably, and we'll do this not this week, we're going to do it in the future, but signing of the season, you know, Polinia at, at Fulham has to be in the mix at 20 million quid from Sporting Lisbon. Uh, you know, what a great signing he's been and an absolute workhorse in that midfield. But again, you're quite right. You look at the rest of their signings. And again, you know, a shout out to Burn Leno, you know, again, eight million pounds. You know, again, we've just spoken about Nick Pope, who maybe had his eyes set on the, the Newcastle product. I think those teams that we've spoken about could have had Burn Leno if they were if they were proactive enough at eight million quid. I think so, yeah. You know, and so again, it's about making sure that you get the right player at the right time. Because again, I think you know if Leicester had come in for him, he would have seen that as a better option than Fulham at the time. It would have been a more safe option. You definitely you would have thought you're definitely playing Premier League football again, and Fulham were on the cusp. So, you know, again, there's there's, there's little nuggets out there if your if your recruitment team without ones keep banging that drum are are on point and on top of it. Yeah, and another one for Fulham we mentioned. We've done it a couple of times now, so we won't uh, stay on to it too long. But William, free transfer, yeah. proven quality. Um, the way he's played this year, he's probably made the difference for them for 10 points, which he's put 10 points. They're struggling, aren't they? Well, not yeah, but not really. I mean, they were so far clear. They ended up being 18 points clear of relegation, which is absolutely phenomenal for Fulham. And again, you know, finishing above Chelsea, finishing above West Ham, you know, and obviously the three relegated teams plus Everton. You know, it's it's been a fantastic season for Fulham. And again, I keep saying they've done it playing really good football. You know, and and actually, it's no surprise that their manager Silver is starting to be linked with some of those jobs that are available uh, because he's done a fantastic job at Fulham. But I think he should stay where he is. I think he's in the right place at the right time for me personally. I think um, Fulham are a club that you need to look at and try, again try and take that blueprint. If you've just been relegated, so if you are Southampton, Leeds, or Leicester, look, they went they went and got Marco Silva early, didn't they? Um, they've bought into his style of play, got him some signings for the the championship. He obviously got them up, and they've done the same again. They've got those signings that he required, and yeah, he's going to be definitely linked to to jobs going forward, isn't he? Because he's done a fantastic job there the past couple of years. Yeah, the, the other thing he's done really well, and, and we all said it. You know, Mitrovic is a championship bully and a Premier League dog. You know, he's he's not good enough for the Premier League. But what they did was they played to Mitrovic's strengths, and. Uh, Obviously, he's gone on to have a fantastic season. If it wasn't for that eight-game ban, obviously, you know, he, who knows how many goals he would have gone on to get this season. But, you know, a phenomenal effort to, to make sure that you're playing to what you've got in the squad already. And again, let's remember, that I think they only paid six and a half million for Mitrovic about five years ago. So, you know, again, what a signing he's been. And if they can keep him fitting in the squad, they've got a chance again of next season of cementing Premier League football again for another year. He, I think he's the key to them, isn't he? You could see when he wasn't playing that they struggled a little bit. But yeah, he's their main man. And I think, like you said, that's what he did in the championship. He actually came out in, in an interview and said, all I've done is focus our game around Mitrovic and to, we played to his strengths. And you saw the goals he scored in the championship and he's just took that form into the Premier League. And so just to, let's put our forward goggles on because everybody loves to do what's going to happen next season. Who, who's going to win the Premier League next season? Can you see anybody toppling the Man City dominance? As of now, I can't see how you cannot say Manchester City will win the Premier League, but I think you have to look at Newcastle with the players that potentially they could sign. And Liverpool have obviously hit some form at the end of the season. So if they can sign a couple of players, they'll obviously be up there again. Um, I think the probably the outsiders again, and it seems strange saying that because they finished second, are Arsenal. If they can recruit well, they'll obviously challenge again. But if I can't see how anyone could not say Manchester City at this minute in time. 
No, I agree. And but the the interesting one for me is Chelsea. And bearing in mind they've got Nkunku that's already coming in. That's a done deal. That's happening. You've got Lukaku that you could bring back. All of a sudden, that squad looks absolutely stacked. If, if Poch and they're still they're not finished spending, and of course they'd have to lose a bunch of players, which you know Mason Mount might be leaving. So, so that will generate income for them to maybe go again. But but Chelsea for me again, I appreciate it's a forty-five point gap right between where Chelsea are and Man City. So you know that's a, that's obviously a, a mountain. But Chelsea are the ones for me that. I don't know. I think we've got to keep an eye on him. I think that that 45 points is just a bit false, isn't it? They shouldn't be finishing there with that squad. That's just due to the way they've been handled this year. So it is a bit of a false gap. Um, but yeah, I agree that the, the, the squad that they've got, they definitely should be up there again, challenging. But I think he's, Poch does have a real job there, doesn't he? Because like I said, you can't have a squad of 40 players. So he's going to have to clear them all out, get everyone on board with the style of play. Like I said, sign some players that he wants. Um, yeah, so I mean, I personally wouldn't, I don't think they'll finish in the top four again, just because of the, f- the sheer turnaround of that squad. There's going to be some serious players going out and in again. Um, but with the quality you've got, they should, they should be pushing it. So it wouldn't surprise me, but I would, I don't think they'll challenge again. So whilst we, because we, we, we are going to touch on Potch, so let's do that next. It feels like a, a good time to talk about firstly, you know, from the outside looking in, do you think that Pochettino to Chelsea is, is the right man for the job? Do you think he's the right right manager to get the best out of that squad? Do you think he's made the right decision? I, I do like him as a manager. I'm going to use your phrase. I think he's a project manager and this is a project. But um, Graham Potter was a project manager as well. So it's whether he gets it afforded the time. Now he should do because he's more of a elite, a seen as elite manager than Potter. So I do think it is a good, a good move. But with the rivalry between Chelsea and Tottenham, like I've, I've been hearing fans phoning in saying they're not interested in whatsoever because of his Tottenham links. So he's going to have a job trying to get them on board. But all he needs to do is just win a few games early doors and they'll be on board. So I do think it is a good move. I do think he is probably one of the, the men out there that were available to come in and sort of manage a project. So I do think it is a good move. See, but that, that for me is an interesting point to start with because they just had the perfect project manager in Potter and they gave him a whatever it was 125 year contract and fired him within months and now they've given Potch a two year plus one contract so it's almost like they've completely changed their model realising that if you sign people up for too long it's too expensive is Potch any better at a project than Potter? I'm, I'm, I think they're, they're about on par, probably not in managerial ability because Poch has proven at other clubs, hasn't he? And he's, he has got a tag of being an elite manager. But why? I, just, he, he, I think just the, the level of the clubs that he's managed at, I think when you do move from a Brighton to a Chelsea, it is a very different type of management. Um, you know, you're having to deal with huge egos, whereas at Brighton and his previous clubs, he probably hasn't had to deal with that. So, But I think if he'd have been given the chance, he 100% could have been on that level. So that's why I did see it as... You know, it was harsh because he, you know, he's learning on the job as he's doing it. You know, he's never, he's not managed at a top club with some of the stars that he's been having to deal with. So I, d- I don't feel that there's a lot of difference between the two, but I do think Poch has the edge just because of his previous experiences at, at, at places like Spurs, PSG. But let's not forget that PSG, you know, you, you and I could go in and manage PSG and would probably get close to, to winning the league with the squad they had. They were playing turgid football. The fans were really unhappy. He didn't win what he should have won there and got fired. You know, so so actually, you know, let's not forget that last season at Spurs, they were horrendous. It was a jammy Champions League run. You know, let's you know go back and watch the goal. You know, Man City is still confused as to how they didn't get through. Ajax are even more confused as how they didn't get through. And they got battered in the final by, you know, a Liverpool team. So, you know, the Champions League run, flat and deceiving. Every big game that Posh has been in, Many of them against Chelsea, ironically, he's underperformed. So I'm just a bit confused as to why Poch is seen elite, but Graham Potter, who's maybe just not had those chances, is seen as being inexperienced and not quite good enough. For me, I think they've just replaced Marmite with Marmite. They've, they've gone, let's just put the same type of manager in and we're going to get the same sort of results potentially. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I, you know, I, I do really rate Graham Potter. I think he is a very good manager, but I say he's, he, I think both of them are project managers. I don't think both of them are classed as elite. Like you could chuck them in at a big, a huge club where you need to have a style of play, basically like a Pep Guardiola. Um, Pep could go somewhere and change a style of play. I don't think those two have got that about them, but they are sort of bringing worse players and making them better is more about their game. 
So I do think they are very similar. I do just think you know, once you have managed at some of those clubs, and I take PSG as an example, yes, he didn't really perform, but the experience that he'll have, you know, dealing with a Neymar and, you know, Messi and stuff like that, Potter had never dealt with that before. So I can see that's why he struggled because you need to command respect. And I think the Chelsea players will command more respect with Poch than they did with Potter. But I do think they're both very similar managers. And there's a couple of players that I think are going to be really interested and interesting to see what happens with because, you know, Poch had this kind of uh, reputation of paying youngsters, which, again, I'm not entirely sure is, is you know, you know, let's not kid us. You know, Dele Alli was sort of thrust in almost by accident and, and happened to be young. Uh, I don't know too many of the other Spurs players, that, 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 but, but nonetheless, you know, Chelsea have got this history of, mopping up young talent and then loaning them out. So someone like, for example, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who has gone from being, you know, asking for 170 grand a week and turning down Bayern Munich to being an absolute, what has he done? He's going to be an interesting case for me to see what he can do. And obviously, they've got Xavier Simmons, who's out on loan at Hull, who's currently with the England under-20 squad, who looks a bit of a talent. And of course, they've got uh, Levi Colville, obviously, who's, who's at Brighton, to come back into that central defensive role that... That alongside a Fafana and a Badashili, you know, with with Reece James and Ben Chilwell, for me, the, the, the core of that team is absolutely phenomenal. And they've got a really, for me, like I say, I know I'm saying I'm not sure Potch is any better than Potter, but I still feel that, that a good structure can really take that Chelsea team back into the top four really quickly. I think that's been the frustration when, when other teams look at Chelsea is to say they actually have the, the nucleus of a team there, don't they, with their setup and the youth setup that they've got coming through, but it's never been utilised. So I, I can't see how he utilises it because it's never been the policy there. I do think those young players like hudson Adore you mentioned, they'll be sold. I think they'll be sold to generate funds and they'll go and buy some instant talent rather than bringing these youngsters through. I think the only one who may get a, a go, maybe Levi um, Colwell. But again, I mean, you've got Thiago Silva there. He's not going to sit on the bench behind Colwell. You know, but that would be the correct thing to do at his age. But I just can't see that happening. So I do think all the young talent that they're mopping up will still be sold, and that's that'll be their business model: mop it up, mop the young talent up, and sell it on at a profit. Possibly. I mean, obviously they signed Chuck Wameka for twenty million. There's uh, Sazadi, I into my for seventy million. He he he's meant to be a talent. Amari Hutchinson from Arsenal got on a free. You know, they've got they've got oodles of young talent and, and actually obviously they've got some FFP issues that they need to kind of tackle and you know you can see them getting 15 million pounds for all those people and potentially that's what they'll do but you know Poch has got this reputation for being someone that plays young players so all of those players are going to be very interesting to see whether they can break into the team and, and, and make a difference because for me you know it's interesting that Todd Bowley looks like he's taking a step back from from day-to-day running of the club which is clearly the right thing to do mm-hmm. uh, and like I said, with Nkunku and Lukaku potentially coming in as well, I, I think actually it's exciting. I'm still not convinced by Poch as being any better than Potter, but I still think that Chelsea squad could do some really interesting stuff next season with no European football distractions. You know, in your first year going into a, a club to have that extra time on the training ground. And again, Poch is someone that has a real emphasis on that high press energy kind of heavy metal football that Jurgen Klopp plays. You know, I think that the Chelsea players are going to be grateful to have that rest and recovery time rather than keep playing games for them to spend that time on the training ground. Yeah, I think they're going to be one of the most interesting clubs to follow um, during the end of the season slash pre-season just to see what route they go. Like you mentioned, do they go down the youth route? Is it a lot of signings again? Who's going to be sold? So I think it will be really interesting to watch what happens there. So, obviously, uh, as I've alluded to, weekend of, of playoff spectacle and all three goals were were immensely gripping in different ways for different reasons. Uh, and obviously, two of them ended up on penalties with with Carlisle taking that, that final spot moving up into League One against the heavily predicted and both of us thought Stockport would do there. And, you know, it, it was one of them games that probably was always going to finish on penalties and Carlisle just managed to get the job done. Very tight, wasn't it? Like like a lot of playoff games are. Um, but, you know, Carlisle's run of form at the end of the season was superb. So you can see why they've nicked it. Obviously, really interesting to have the Simpson family with with, with one on one side of the, the bench and one on the other side. I hope that's worked out okay for them. But yeah, absolutely. You know, Carlisle are a team steeped in history. I think uh, they'll add something to League One. And I think Stockport are the team that will actually be able to bounce back and come again and potentially actually go up you know, without needing the playoffs next season because obviously they are a, they're a great club only moving upwards. The League One 
final was was very very interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. There's only one place really where we can start was was it or was it not a sending off? No, it was not a sending off, and actually there was a penalty before that as well. So I think we can absolutely say um, Barnsley are very harshly have been done by the the officials and the VAR there. I really feel sorry for them. And again, it's just to highlight, I think, um, how poor the officiating in this country is. Yeah, it's difficult. I I was excited. I don't know why. I was excited that VAR was doing these games because I thought at least if you're going to go up or not go up, it's going to be based on good decisions. And then that happens. And I don't know whether we've got to the point now where VAR has almost become redundant because they're, not going to make changes to the referee's decision and therefore what's the point? I think so. It was brought in to eradicate errors. That's the the terminology, isn't it? But it doesn't seem to eradicate errors. Only only if it's horrendous, which if it's an error, it's an error. It doesn't matter whether it's a tiny error or a huge error. It, it needs to be rectified. And to me, you know, people can debate the red card, but the, I mean, the one before the penalty, that was stonewall to me. It was absolutely stonewall. So they've gone from potentially being one and up to now being 10 men, having 10 men. And that absolutely hurt them. And I'd just like to shout out the, the Barnsley players and the manager there. I think after that happened, they rallied and they really put a shift in for their manager and the fans there. So fair play to them. Oh, on a hot day, you know, they were fantastic. And again, there was a couple of breakaways in, in, in normal time when you're thinking, just play the right ball, just play the right ball. And then it kept broken, you know, arguably their best player sort of spanned, spanned it wide. And you just, oh, blimey. Like, you know, I, I kind of done a real flip-flop. Obviously, after Sheffield Wednesday being 4-0 down in the first leg, I was kind of, you know, cheering them on because they finished third with 96 points, thinking they deserved. And then when the red card happened, and again, I thought the commentary team got that right when they said, if you're in the VAR, why don't you just send the ref to the screen for him to make his decision in in, in another time? And that was the opportunity there is because remember VAR doesn't have to change the referee's opinion, but they give him the time to have a look at it again and see if he wants to change his decision. So if that for me was the solution to that problem, but you're right, Barnsley after that red card were fantastic and absolutely put a shift. They, they, they literally gave everything for their manager and the supporters. And uh, in the end, I was, I was it's such a cruel way. I mean, losing on penalties is cruel, of course it is, but you know, last kick of the game was, was heartbreaking for them, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And and just what you said there on the solution, how is that not so obvious that that is the solution? Go and have another look. And if you still think it's a red, you won't get the same amount of flack that you're getting now because you basically got technology and you're not using it. So what's the point? It may as well not be there. Just go and have another look. Like, And you don't even need VAR to say, go and have a look. Like if you, you could say, I think it's a red, give the red and then ask to go and have a look. Like, it's, it's there. Use it. Like, it. It just doesn't make sense to me. And that's why I think the officiating's got worse is because they're relying on VAR, but VAR's being instructed to not turn it over. Yeah, completely agree. But all three clubs, Plymouth, Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday, will add something to that championship that we spoke about with Leicester, Leeds and Southampton coming in with the clubs that are already there, the Middlesbroughs, the Coventrys, the Norwiches, the Watfords. You know, that's going to be one hell of a league to get out of next season. And that's going to be a great watch as well for us in terms of what's coming out of that, because that is going to be an absolutely fantastic league next year for sure. Yeah, it is. And one team I'd like to highlight and how the bookies have priced this up. So I've just had a look at relegation um, from the championship and Plymouth are odds on favourites. They're about one to 10 to go down. I can't see that. They've just won the league. They've not lost any players. They didn't have a lot of players on loan. They are a very well-run club with a brilliant manager there with a great style of play. I'd be gobsmacked if they go down. So I don't. I think they've got that completely wrong. The way is you've got Ipswich and Chef Wednesday, who are who are like fourth and fifth favourites to win it. But Plymouth have beat both of them in the league this season, so I don't get that at all. Because <laughs> again, this is the thing with betting is that or those kind of things is that they change the odds depending on where the money is. That's that's why really you should never look at next manager odds because if you know 400 500 pound on a on a manager can change the odds dramatically it doesn't mean they think it's going to happen it just means that people put money on it you know like you say quite rightly as long as plymouth keep the manager who uh pretty sure one manager of the season I assume I, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but you know Schumacher. yeah phenomenal job he's done there you're absolutely right if they keep the pieces together add a little bit with the bigger budget they've got keep the manager in place because that is the key for me here on all of these clubs you know get the right manager anything's possible uh, you're absolutely right. I could see Plymouth doing, you know, let's not forget Sunderland last season went up through the playoffs and nearly got to the playoff final this year. 
and it's all momentum, isn't it? You go into seasons where you've been winning at the end of the season. That's why I spoke about Liverpool. I think, you know, once you've finished that strong, it, it bodes well for next season, doesn't it? But where you've got Plymouth, who have, to be honest, let's let's not beat around the bush. They've romped the league. Yeah. There. They've absolutely romped the league ahead of some big clubs in Ipswich and Chef Wednesday. And they're now odds on favourites behind teams that have like like Huddersfield, who really struggled this year and have lost Neil Warnock and don't have a manager. Like I don't get that. How are they, they are literally the odds on favourites to go down in the championship, which when you look at some of the teams in that league, like Birmingham were terrible this year. There's, there's a lot of teams in that league who have been poor and a, a better odds to stay up. So, I mean, I'll say it now, I'm going to be having a bit of that. Yeah, you like that, do you? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll be having a bit of them to stay up. So, uh, yeah, very, very, very interesting. I think absolutely right. You're, you're, you're quite right that it's it's very much a case of uh, people are making some really uh, big, bold decisions around, uh, you know, what uh, what is going to happen. And so, therefore, I think you're quite right to think that maybe some of these players... Uh, are going to be absolutely, sorry, well, some of these teams are going to be absolutely fine and good. Uh, interestingly, now we move on to the teams coming out of the championship. And of course, uh, Luton, the tiny Luton, have uh, gone on to, to make it uh, into the Premier League after what was, being a neutral, a really stressful, really stressful afternoon. Uh, but they got the job done. They got over the line. And Luton are now in the Premier League. It still sounds crazy to say that, doesn't it? No, I'm, and I'm really pleased with them. They, they they fully deserved it with what they've done for the whole season with some of the players they've got in that squad and the manager coming in after being sacked by Watford. They really deserved it and I'm really pleased with them. Uh, I think um, it's, it's quite harsh on Coventry. Again, they're another club who have done really well. Um, I saw a stat that they have the uh, per week wages. They, they had the 23rd highest per week wages in the championship. So it just shows you what job uh, Robbins has done there. Uh, superb job with with the budget that he's been given. So I do feel really um, sorry for them of how they've gone out. Pen- like I said, penalties is not the way to lose a place in the Premier League, is it? But Luton, they fully deserved it. And I'm really excited to see how they go next year. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be very interesting in terms of uh, who they get in, who do they keep, where do they go. Obviously, had to react to what was quite a a horrific incident on the pitch during the game. And, and what I'd like to say actually about them was uh, I thought at the end of the game, they handled that as a club and as a team spectacularly well. Every single one of them in the interview mentioned the Coventry team, the Coventry setup, and the Coventry fans. And I thought they conducted themselves with complete professionalism that was uh, not necessarily reciprocated by maybe, for example, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, and I thought that, that the Luton players and management team were an absolute credit to the club. And I can see that togetherness and the manager himself, who, who's had a turbulent sort of 12 months, showing the emotion at the end when talking about his player. I, I, I thought that they, that they really did show the, the complete epitome of togetherness. I think it's, it's when, when you have somebody who owns the club and, you know, the people who run the club and they have that ethos and... You know, it's just, it's just manners, isn't it? And that's instilled throughout the club. I think you can see by when you look at clubs of how they run and how it sort of filters down through to the management, the, the staff and the players. And I think Luton are the, the epitome of that, aren't they? I think they fully deserve to be there because they're a very well-run club. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, OK, we're going to move on now to a topic that, that really kind of broke probably about 15 minutes after we did our last pod, so actually didn't have a chance to touch on. But And we haven't spoken about it, so it'd be interesting to get your point of view. But obviously, even Tony's received the ban for uh, gambling altercations, I think it's fair to say. Eight months, does that feel right to you? Or does that feel, well, eight months, does that feel right to you? Let's start there. I think it's an absolute disgrace that he's been given eight months. Now, more did come out after they announced eight months to say that he was betting on his own team losing, wasn't he? Which, obviously, you don't condone that sort of behaviour. But when you have the Skybet Championship and Skybet, and on their shirts, they've got a betting company, which is a sponsor. Betting is plastered everywhere. And all the lad's done is have a bet. And in some cases, he's had like an accumulator like me and you do at the end of this podcast. Now, I would doubt very much he's having a fiver. So that's the difference. But it's, betting is everywhere within football. Money is generated from betting. And then the fact that he's he's had a bet and he's been given an eight-month ban is ridiculous. And then you compare it to like, Suarez's bite. What's more harmful? Suarez biting an opponent whilst playing and that being live across, you know, Sky, 
BT, whatever it was on back in the day, and all kids seeing it, or a bloke having a bet. I I just think it's an absolute joke. I think um I think the system needs shaking up entirely. You can still ban betting if that's the case. I, you know I'm I'm fully on board with that, but it's got to be in comparison to some of the other things that go on in football, because you look at some of the, I mean, you, you get sort of like a hundred grand uh, fine for being racist, don't you? But Ivan Tony has got an eight month ban for betting. I just don't think it stacks up. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's crazy. I think there, there's, there's many things that, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, that, and that's certainly one of them. I think it's absolutely bonkers that we've got this position where he's been given that long. And I think it's, it's nonsense. And I think actually it's, it's a, it's a really sad reflection on, actually what we're kind of trying to do I think you're right in the sense that you know it's obviously not great to be betting on your own game uh, but is it the same as for example Kieran Trippier who knew the transfer was happening and gave advice to people to go and put money on you know like bet, I suppose what I'm saying is like I might bet on my team to lose as long as I'm not trying to influence the loss and as long as I'm not throwing the ball in the back end or scoring own goals how do you actually prove that what's the problem Whereas if I'm saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to be moving to Club X, go and put a million quid on it, that that feels different to me because that's that's the certainty that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And what he's actually betting, like you said, is accumulators. And he's not said, I'm going to miss a penalty or I'm going to get booked. So he's not influenced the game. You know, he, he probably was in the game and absolutely was trying. Look at his goal record this year. But I said, when you look at it at things in comparison, I mean, you've mentioned one that's, that's also betting, but that I've mentioned before, racism and other stuff. When you look at the fines that are dished out to clubs of racism or, you know, um, where fans have gone and, you know, brought the club into disrepute, where they've ran on the pitch or whatever, it's, like, it's just minimal compared to what he's been given. I just don't get it. Yeah, definitely, a uh, for me, a complete overkill. Again, the timing of it was shocking. End of season, you know, potentially could have had an impact on where, where teams or clubs finish. Uh, like I say, for me, all in all, an absolute nonsense of a of a decision that, that's way too much, you know. And again, if, if, if the gentleman does have a problem, which it seems like he genuinely does, uh, you know, I'm hoping that he's getting the support and the, and, and the support to kind of, and, and the help to, to, to get over that properly. Uh, but I, I just think that eight months is crazy. And of course, now Brentford, who, to be fair, since the announcement, have gone on to beat Tottenham and Man City, so they don't seem to be struggling too much. But again, you know, if Brentford were in a relegation battle or a top four battle, you know, that could have been huge impact on on them and, and, and their future. Yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, you, you look at it from that Brentford's perspective, you know, he, he probably does deserve a ban because you shouldn't go betting against your own team, stuff like that. And it is in the rules. I get that. It's just the length, isn't it? That's the problem. But like you said, Brentford have performed really well without him. So, you know, hopefully they can take that into next season as well. And not that many weeks ago, we talked about the Premier League getting so boring that it might turn into the Bundesliga. But actually, the Bundesliga had one of the most interesting finishes to to a season in a long while. And I don't want to say it, but ultimately Dortmund bottled it. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's gone back to the standard, hasn't it, of Bayern have won the league again and it's a bit boring but obviously the, the football in the last week um, the last game week was really entertaining it wasn't what sort of has happened over the previous years but it has gone back to Bayern have won an 11th title in a row which I was so disappointed for Dortmund and, and especially people like Marco Royce and Jude Bellingham I think Jude Bellingham was out wasn't he so he didn't actually was, play yeah, which correct. was a which obviously has had a huge impact. But yeah, I was really disappointed for them and some of the players because they have deserved to win that league for a good amount of years up against the Bayern team that just purchased the best players in the league. So I was very disappointed they didn't win it. Yeah, and, and what, having watched the Dortmund game in its entirety, uh, they could have lost that. They could have been 4-0 down at half-time. They were not at the races and actually came back. Obviously, Haller missed the penalty. They, they came back into the game in the second half and that game could have easily finished 6 all. Uh, but again, it just shows that they just didn't handle the pressure. They didn't handle the occasion. And a team that had absolutely nothing to play for literally tore them to pieces. You know, it was it was crazy how, I don't know what the Dortmund strategy was. I don't know what the game plan was, if there was one. But if, if, if it was, the players didn't either understand it or stick to it. It was criminal how Dortmund played, you know. And again, they were at home. You know, it's not like they had to even go into this really sort of, you know, tough environment. They were in front of 80,000 of their own fans against a team that had been bang average all season and they got torn apart. Do you think a lot of a lot of what it comes down to is you look at it from the buying perspective, they're used to doing it. You know, it's the same with Man City, isn't it? It's the juggernaut. They do it every single, every single um, week, month, season. It's what they do. They just go and win games and they do it sort of 
robotically, whereas Dortmund haven't had that experience for 10 years of winning the, the title. So probably it did play a bigger part on them mentally as to what it would have done for a buying team. Again, it, football is, you know, but unfortunately bottling is the only word we can use as fans because if it's your team, that's what the other team say to you. So you want to say it back to them. But essentially it's, it's mental strength, isn't it? It's having the mental strength to be able to handle the situation put in front of you or not. And yeah. Dortmund did not handle that game at all. No. And it's, it, like you said, it's mental flexibility, isn't it? Is You need to be flexible enough to take um, positivity, criticism, whatever it is coming your way and the occasion. And the occasion has got to them, hasn't it? Big time. Where it's, which it is a, you know, you can work on your mentality and a lot of it will come by winning something. Uh, so, you know, teams that haven't won uh, any trophies in the past five or six years, whatever that is, once you do win one, I don't think it's a, it's not a sort of coincidence that it's generally you go on to win a bit more, do you? Because you do get hungry for it, you get used to it, you learn how to see games out, to get over the line. So winning is a habit, but it does come down to mentality and you need to work on that. Yeah, absolutely. Completely, completely agree. So, uh, obviously... Uh, we had been doing a little cheeky fiver uh, every week to basically give to a stranger because we've been, you know, uh, pretty useless at it. But nonetheless, uh, we gave it a go. And again, uh, similar story. Neither of us quite got there, did we? No, I had Newcastle and I had Man City in my bet. So that was down straight away. I didn't see Man City losing there. That was a bit of a shock was all. It was. You're quite right. Yeah, I obviously had... Uh, I had the three teams in the bottom. I, I thought Leeds would beat Spurs. Uh, I had Leicester and I had... Uh, who else did I have? Everton. Oh, Everton. Everton, that's right. So I was thinking about Southampton there. Yeah, and, and you know, being honest, when I saw the Spurs team, I was thinking, brilliant, Leeds are going to give them a good pump in. Uh, and Leeds couldn't even beat that that shocking Spurs team. So uh, I suppose arguably, of course, the way to finish off the season. Uh, but so what we're going to do next season is that for the first show, we'll, as the Premier League season starts, we're going to put an end-of-season prediction bet together. So whether that be promotion, relegation, and see how we get on with that. Uh, and obviously, we'll carry on with our weekly our weekly throwing £5 down the drain challenge that we seem to have picked up this year. But hopefully, we'll get a bit better at it because actually, some of the other stuff that we've done outside of the podcast has worked quite well. Uh, and of course, in terms of cash, Fran, you gave me a good thrashing. You won over £250 to my £26. So even though some of that was on cash outs, but we'll let that slide. I'm over it. Uh, well done to you to be in this season's uh, winner. Well, it's a podcast, isn't it? So overall, we've we've done nearly two hundred and ninety pounds, which isn't bad, is it? Even though so we every some weeks we do throw it away, but there's been some weeks where we've earned it. Absolutely, and uh, as always, Fran, we've got some great content coming up over the summer. Where can people reach out and find us? So we're on Twitter. So if you look for the Twitter handle, the atmosphere is electric. We're putting posts out every single sort of day, really. Um, there's things there like um, commentary on matches. There's some polls, some questions, which just reply to any of those or send us a DM. Um, and we're also on Spotify where you can send us a voice note. 